David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. We have one guest today who will occupy the whole hour, Johnny Majors, a former star football player at Tennessee, where in 1956 he was the runner-up to Paul Horning for the Heisman Trophy, and a man who went on to a successful coaching career at Iowa State, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. Here is our interview with Johnny Majors. When it came time for you to make a choice of where to go to college, was there any question that it was going to be Tennessee and nobody else? I was always an I was always a West Point Army Army fan. Uh, when I was growing up in Tennessee in uh, nineteen well nineteen forty four, forty five, forty six, when I was eight, nine, and ten, Doc Rancher and Glenn Davis were my heroes at West Point. I wanted to go to Army, but uh, then uh, I also as a youngster started. Uh, been to Tennessee and I like Vanderbilt too because I was an hour and a half south of there. I grew up in Lynchburg, Tennessee, where they make Jack Daniels whiskey, the most famous whiskey in the world. Uh, but I wasn't drinking in those days, of course. But, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I got to be where I, I followed Vanderbilt and uh, Tennessee and Alabama, uh, along with West Point. West Point was my favorite. When I got up to the age where I was being recruited, uh, I, 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 led the, I led the whole state score in my last three years. We had, we had a very small school. There were 32 of my graduating class. And my dad was the head coach. And uh, we, we only lost one game. With, uh, in seven years, we lost one game and tied one with uh, four or three of my brothers and I, two years apart, playing in the same backfield at one time. Two of us were. And uh, and I was recruited by a lot of people because I let the whole state to score. And, uh, and I ended up, um, I didn't visit very much. I liked being around home on the weekend. I went to I went to Georgia once, and I went to Auburn once, and I went to Tennessee twice. And I didn't go to Florida. Some other people that recruited me in Virginia, Virginia Tech, and West Point. But uh, frankly speaking, I felt more at home at Auburn. I really considered it very seriously because the little two little towns where I'm from, Lynchburg has one stoplight and had a pool room and had a town square, but no movie. And uh, Huntland, where my dad took us, where we won all those games uh, in the in the early fifties, uh, they had no no movie house, which you would call a movie theater, and they had uh, a pool room. So I played a lot of pool when I was a teenager. And I felt at home at Auburn because they had a couple of pool rooms and a movie house. Knoxville was much bigger. It was a big country town now. It's a pretty good-sized city. Uh, and it's bigger in football. They had a 50,000-seat stadium. And, ten- and Auburn only had a 28,000-seat stadium, believe it or not. Now they have about 85,000. Tennessee has 108. But I, I, I wanted to play single-wing football because I was a single-wing tailback. 
And Tennessee was one of the, one of the three or four teams in America that was using signal wing. Uh, Dick Casmire that was a tailback at, at Princeton would hide for trophy winner tailback uh, when I was in high school. And uh, UCLA was using it at that time in Tennessee. And I was a single wing tailback. And I ended up coming here not thinking I could ever play big times football. I was a 155 pounder. But worked out great. I had a great spring practice. I was really concerned about making a big time, but uh, uh, cracked the house pretty quickly and had a rather good sophomore year. I got hurt in this four games, but I had an exciting spring practice. And uh, my last two years, I was the starter, of, uh, of course, my last two years. And I'm glad I came to Tennessee because it's very exciting. Knoxville is a great college campus. Uh, University of Tennessee, it's great atmosphere, beautiful mountains around here, and rivers, and all that stuff. In fact, I'm looking out my kitchen window right now at the Tennessee River. It runs right, right at the bottom part of my yard. Uh, so uh, that's the way it is right now, and I, I, I did have a hard time with that decision, but uh, my mother said the, the day before my signing date, she said, John, I know you're having a hard time making a decision. And said, if it's that hard, I'd like to see you stay in the state. Our mother and daddy were very distant, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't just uh, smother us without uh, giving us a lot of freedom when we were kids too. And they let us make our own decisions when we got to, to do getting football scholarships. My four younger brothers all played college ball. Joe played at Florida State, quarterback and safety man. My brother Bill Bill played the same position I did at Tennessee. Single wing tailback and, and uh, safety man. And Larry, my fourth brother, uh, third brother actually, played for my dad at Sewanee after he went to college head, head coaching as a single wing tailback and wing back. And my younger brother, Bob, who's uh, an eight year skip there, he was an All American at Tennessee and, and led the nation in punt returns and, uh, and interceptions as a senior in 71. So we forced and were able to get our stuff. Scholarships paid for, and uh, we knew we were going to college as little boys. But mother said to you guys, you boys are going to college. And we had one sister, and she said you have to work your way through school and help the other ones when you get through. So we all knew we were going to college. But fortunately, all the five boys got a chance to have their their academics paid for, and therefore my mother and daddy could send Shirley in to Tennessee. So. Uh, and at one time, I this is not important to you all, at one time, my future wife and Joe's future wife and Bill's future wife and Sarah and my sister all lived in the same dormitory at UT on the same floor. Uh, I guess you want to go to other subjects probably by now. <laughs> no. no, no problem. I mean, they said that you played in the second greatest game in college football history when you guys beat Georgia Tech six to nothing in Atlanta. What was that game like? Well, it was a game going into it that I was very convinced that uh, it, one mistake could have cost the game. And uh, the year before, we had tied Georgia Tech seven seven, or they had tied us. It didn't make a difference. They won the championship, the Southeastern Conference Championship in '55, and I played the whole game. I never left the game. I played sixty minutes playing both ways. They, we tied 7-7, and they went to the Sugar Bowl and beat the University of Pittsburgh 14-7. Well, we basically had a, we, we had a junior softball team. We had one senior, and he was our captain. 
uh, guard, and George Tech only had one or two seniors on the on those two good teams. So we were going to Atlanta the next year, and we uh, we pretty well sure were sure those teams were individually that uh, this was going to be probably for the big big time, maybe the national championship, certainly for the southeastern. And it was chosen the Sports Illustrated in 1969, in the 100th year of college football. It was it was uh, uh, voted the second most exciting game, the second greatest game in college football history. To to I believe was second to I believe the uh, Ohio State maybe in Notre Dame in 1935 or 36. Then that's not objective, of course. You can't really uh, pick the best 10 teams and. 150 years of football now, or it's about, it's about 150 years old now, and a few years. But we were selected number two, and they, they did Sports Illustrated. So it was it, it was a right down to the final points, and uh, you knew that a fumble or an interception, and I was a passer, and I did all the punting, and I running and called the plays in the huddle, and I played to them full time. But we uh, we only made a mistake that day, and our kick punting game was outstanding. Uh, I kicked one pooch kick down to the half yard line. It turned sideways and started Georgia Tech on the on the one the one foot line, and a quick kick for the only time in my career on first down. We were on our 19 yard line, and I just made a first down with a four yard off tackle play, and they had their safety man backed up because Bobby Dodd, the Georgia Tech coach, and out in white, our Tennessee coach, both were great All-Americans at Tennessee under General Robert Neyland. And both of them are only two of the three people in college football history who've been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, both as a player or coach. So our team and I and the Georgia Tech team are the only two teams in history that's ever played in a game with two two College Hall of Fame football and, and, and coaches against each other. And uh, they were both great coaches. They were conservative. Uh, they quick kicked out of the T formation. Surprise element. A lot of times on third down, occasionally on second. And we did the same thing. We were in a single wing and we kicked spirals. They kicked an end-over-end side kick, side-side kick. With a fullback step sideways and snap it time underneath the quarterback's legs. He did it over his end step and it rolled in over in. But well, we, we, we'd take three steps back in the single wing and they stop us the ball. We did a low spot, so I kicked one from our 19 to about George Tech's 12. It hit and ran about 30 yards. But uh, it was a great kicking game, a game with few mistakes, and uh, uh, it was a classic. And They were number two in America. We were number three that weekend, and next Monday we were number one. Oklahoma number two. We were both undefeated, and Oklahoma ended up outholding us for the national championship. They were ten and zero. We were ten and zero. They were defending ten and zero champions from the year before, and I think that gave them a little bit of a favoritism. But they had a great team with Tommy McDonald and Jerry Tubbs and Clinton Thomas, and we had a great team that we just got outpolled. That's when they picked the hard one. Well, they do now two losses, but that's when they picked the national championship team. Before the bowl games, what was it like playing uh, for your dad and then playing for Coach Wyatt? Well, I was very—I guess I'm one of the luckiest people in the world in many ways. Uh, but, uh, my father 
was a winning coach in Tennessee at that time. My, my father never went to college, but he's a smart man, and he learned quickly from other people. He was a, a barber in World War II when I was eight years old in, Tennessee, in Lynchburg, Tennessee, where they make Jack Dennis gave up football in '43 because they put men pretty short of players. That's a little bitty town. I see about 30 people in the class, and he had a, there were about 28 that came out for football. So they wanted to restart football. My dad was driving back and forth to Tullahoma where they had a 70,000 uh, infantry camp. They was barber, and we lived in Lynchburg, and they, uh, they wanted to start the team. The players didn't want to restart the team in 44. My dad did not go to college, but he was a great athlete, well-known around that area, his football, basketball, and baseball. And played a lot of amateur football, baseball, and basketball at that time. But he was an all-around athlete. He could punt, pass, run. Great, great, great athlete. And uh, they said, how about Shirley Major? So the principal said, we can't pay him. So my dad followed in the daytime up to Tullahoma, 13 miles away. Came back, coached the team with no playbook, no assistant coach. They had no films in those days. Strictly coaching the center wing and wide top of six. And also the short punt formation that uh, that they used at Tennessee, the single wing that is. So uh, he built Tennessee, uh, Lynchburg up, and then uh, in 1949, that was 1944, 1949, he goes to a little town called Huntland, and that's right at the foot of the mountains, right at the southern part of Middle Tennessee, five miles north of Alabama. And he uh, taught those players how to play football. They never had, had football. They only had basketball and baseball. My dad showed them how to put the uniform on and how, uh, how to play. They won two games the first year and lost five. I was down at Lynchburg as a freshman and played against him. We won one game and lost uh, nine. I was a starting quarterback at 135 pounds. But I scored two touchdowns against my dad. We uh, uh, beat him 19 to 13. He said it'd be the last that same time a son of mine plays against me, and I was the oldest of five boys. And so there's four of us. Boys were uh, two years apart, so two of us always played the same backfield. That my father was a great fundamentalist. He taught us all how to punt, pass when we were little boys, and we were all good athletes. He taught us how to sidestep, step on, how to run, how to tackle. And he wasn't a doting father, but he was. Uh, he was a other father, he, we were disciplined. Uh, he had a great sense of humor, but he knew sports and just had a natural neck and was well taught in high school by his coach. And we played all three sports for him at that little uh, town called Hotland. And we uh, didn't lose but one game the last seven years he was there. Then he goes to the University of the South at Sewanee, Tennessee. They call it Sewanee, not Sewanee. That's in Georgia. And my brother Larry played for the very end. My father had the only two undefeated teams at Sewanee in the 20th century. He had uh, one of his captains on the undefeated team was from, from Chicago. He was one of Larry, my brother Larry's best friends in 1963. Bob Davis, he was the captain of Sewanee's 1963 undefeated team. So Sewanee recruited people all over the country because it's such a great academic school. And uh, it was great playing for him because he's tough, he's demanding. And uh, and and also Bob White was. Bob White, the Tennessee head coach, is the only coach in history of college football, starting in 1869, to have won three major championships at three major conferences. 
at one time the old skyline was a major conference. It's now a big lesser something. But Wyoming and Arizona State, Arizona at that time, Utah, Utah State, uh, uh, Colorado State, uh, they won the championship twice in the last two years. He was a Tennessee All-American, as I mentioned earlier. And then he went to Arkansas, won the Southwest Conference Championship the second year, came to Tennessee the spring of my sophomore year, turned us around. We'd been four and six and five and five. We went six, three and one the first year and went 10 and 0 the second year. He won championships at all three conferences. Bear Bryant never did that. Jim Tatum never did that. Duffy Darty never did that. But Wilkerson never did that. So I played for two coaches, fortunately that I would love to play for if I played again. And they were in the same kind of t- category of Vince Lombardi and Barry Brown. They were tough. They were demanding. But they knew how to teach you. And if you played for them, you loved playing for them. If you didn't hustle, they would probably scare you to death and it'd make you wish you never saw Hawaii or Tennessee <laughs> or Alabama or Green Bay Packers. So the tough coaches that are smart, and also will pat you on the back when you do something well. You'll do anything to please them if you're a football player and want to do well and excel. I was very fortunate to play with two of the greatest coaches in America, my father and Bound White. You came in second in the Heisman. You lost to Paul Hornig, who was playing for Notre Dame, and they had a 2-8 and eight record. How hard was that to accept? Well, frankly speaking, I, I never got myself built up to that I was going to win the Heisman. There was one of the great players there. That was one of the greatest draft groups in college in, in, in history from the, that played in the NFL. Several Hall of Famers in the NFL were on that All-American squad. And Holden uh, was first and I was second. Conrad McDonald, great Hall of Famer in college and, and pro football from Oklahoma, played for the Philadelphia Eagles, was third. And his teammate, Jerry Tubbs, the center linebacker, was fourth. And uh, they'd won 20 straight games, so they gave him a penalty advantage. Jim Brown and Syracuse, one of the great players of all time. Many people say he could be the greatest running back in history. He was fifth. So I didn't get myself off there. I thought to be disappointed. But when I came in second, uh, I was very disappointed. But I never, I never had any bitterness about it. Uh, because Horning was a great player. He played on a bad team, but he could punt, he could pass, he could run. I did all three opportunities. He played defense. And he was a great pro, but you select the Heisman because of college football. Well, he was a great college player. I don't consider that. I'd like to have won it. One thing that didn't help me for sure, I missed 25% of the season as a senior. I missed two complete games. At two-thirds of a game where I had my best game against Duke, my second game when I scored three touchdowns and uh, in the first quarter and a half, or less than a half of a quarter, and I uh, made another long run and got hurt on that run when I was hit from behind when I had to slow for the blocking. I missed the next game. I missed the last two-and-a-half quarters of that game, and I also missed the North Carolina game, which was homecoming. I did go in for one kick, a quick kick, Coach White wanted me to be able to go in because it's homecoming, but I had some tender ribs that had separated against Maryland the week before, and uh, they held me out because we were playing Georgia Tech the week after North Carolina. They wanted to make certain I was in the best shape I could be in, 
Georgia Tech, but I was sore and tender. I could have played, but I quick kicked so I played one play in another final game, didn't play a game in Chattanooga. In a 10-game schedule, I, I lost, that's, that's 25% of it, the best I can recall, and I'm not mathematical. <laughs> so if I played two, I lost at least two and a half games out of, out of 10, that cost me quite a few yards, and that would have helped my chances, but I don't resent that, and I've never, I've never been bitter about that. Horning's a great friend of mine. I, I see him at the Derby quite often, and uh, uh, we've had a few laughs about that. But I, we don't have time to tell a couple of Horning stories right now, I'm sure. But uh, I respect him. He was a great player, and uh, that's the way it goes. Now, after your college career, very illustrious, as we say, runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, we would think the next step would be to the NFL. But you ended up in the Canadian Football League. How did that occur? Well, I say that I say I'm a really confident person at my age, 79 years old, as of May 21st. But uh, I, as a, even as a little boy, I never felt like I could maybe do something until I got involved with it. Uh, I, I cried before I went to the first grade because I couldn't read. Well, my mother and daddy made me go over there and to school. They took me in the car. We lived right over across the hill there in Lynchburg. Walking distance that day, and I got to, I got there, and I didn't want to leave. I liked learning to read and spell and write. My goodness, and playing the uh, playing the football and boxing dogs at halftime and it recess and beating the new girls and new boys. I loved it, and then uh, I was concerned about playing high school football. And my first start was too good. We I was a starting quarterback in my first two games. We lost fifty-eight to nothing. And then 75 to 6 the next week. But I had not married before I came to Tennessee when I was 18 years old because I was afraid I couldn't play in the big time. Well, right away, I, <laughs> I found out I could make people miss me in, 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 in college like they did in high school, and I was quite surprised. So I, I never was uh, overconfident in anything I did. And the, the, the question, oh, yeah, about uh, the Canadian League, uh, I don't think I would have been a great pro. I could do virtually everything that we needed to in football. I believe I was second in the nation on punting, and I broke the all-time Tennessee record in pass percentage and had over a five-yard average rushing my senior year. Those are pretty strong statistics, but I missed two and a half games. And Montreal, I signed before the NFL draft. That's why I didn't get a chance to play in the All-Star game because they offered me a $10,000 salary and $1,000 bonus. That was a lot of money in that time. Yeah. And I didn't think I was, I thought I had a better chance to play in the Canadian League than I did there. And I played one year. I started. I didn't have a great year. I got hurt a few times. I re hurt my shoulder that I'd hurt in college. And I came back and started coaching at Tennessee because Coach Wyatt, my head coach, said, Johnny, if you want his coach, would you get through? I'll have a job for you. So I came back here and finished a couple of courses after the Canadian season was over and got my degree and started coaching the student. I was a student coach that year. Then went full-time two years with Coach White. Four years into Mississippi State after I married my young bride, who was a sophomore at Tennessee while I was coaching. And then we went from Mississippi State after four years to four years with Frank Rawls one of the great coaches in the country, and that was one of the greatest training sessions for me 
than any coach could ever have because he's one of the great coaches of all time and a Hall of Famer. So I coached and played for some great, great people. I was carefully taught and greatly taught. So I give credit to those people for that. But I knew what I knew, and I knew it well because I was profoundly grounded. I started majors, Bowden White, and Bowden White came out of the Nealon the Nealon family. So did Bobby. Uh, so did Frank Rawls. Frank Rawls played for Bobby Dodd in the forties, and Bobby Dodd is the one that was coached against Bowden White in the Georgia Tech Tennessee game, and the one that we won the classic. And Frank Rawls was an offensive backfield coach, so I was lucky to be around some great people, and I got I got a lot out of it. And I learned from other people that I hired. My first staff, I had Jimmy Johnson as my defensive lineman, who played for us at Arkansas, and I had Jackie Shirley as my beat team coach, and Larry Lake, who was an outstanding coach, he ended up being head scout for the Cowboys, had charge of their personnel. But also, he coached with me twice, and he was a very successful coach at Arkansas State. On my first staff at Iowa State, I had like six coaches who became head coaches later on. I don't think there's been, I don't think any coach in history probably had more future head NFL or college coaches coach with them than I have, including Barry Bryant and uh, a lot of, and Bud Wilkerson, a lot of other people. Not comparing my coaching with them. But I, we, we turned out a lot of people who came through my program who were very successful as head coaches in college and professional football. We will be back with part two of our interview with the legendary Johnny Makers after this brief break. You're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Mm-hmm. 